I'm Jessica Cruel, Content Director at Allure. And I'm so excited to be here on the Allure podcast today, talking to three amazing writers who are part of the launch of The Melanin Edit, which is Allure's destination that celebrates melanin-rich skin. Lifelong activist Michaela Angela Davis, culture writer Ziba Blay, and award-winning journalist Dr. Ate Jewell each wrote personal essays about what it means to look Black, a phrase that can bring up a lot of emotions for a lot of people. With everything that happened last year, the murdering of George Floyd and the reigniting of the Black Lives Matter protests, we believe this was an important conversation to have because having brown skin in this world means you are treated differently. Michaela, this story idea actually started with an email you sent me. So tell me, what did you first think when you read that prompt? What it means to look Black? First of all, I am so grateful to be here with y'all. Like, even though the world is starting to open up, I'm still just really, 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 really missing sisterhood. You know, it was interesting, Jessica, that that conversation came up because my, my daughter works in beauty and she is Black from a distance. She is a Black girl. There's no ambiguity around her like there is with me. And I, I'm clear that my proximity to whiteness has afforded, provided, smuggled in certain privileges, information, and access. But, you know, and I wrote this in the piece, when Renisha McBride was shot in the face, that was a turning point for me because when I saw her, I saw my daughter. My daughter was in college in a very white town at the time. I was a commentator on CNN then, and I used to talk about all the Black blunder and catastrophe mm-hmm. and Black death. You know, from the from the murder of Trayvon Martin on, that was my gig, right? To help try to contextualize Black catastrophe in four minutes on a panel on CNN, right? And But when Renisha McBride was murdered, I realized I couldn't come in. I couldn't talk to y'all white folks about like my daughter getting shot in the face through a door because she needed help. I've been holding that. You know, I have my own stories about growing up in Chocolate City and being a black girl that looked not black with blonde hair, light-skinned girl in, you know, in the world. But this was different. Access is one thing. Safety is another. And I know that my being light-skinned was a strategy. It was a Southern strategy. My, my people come from Jim Crow South. They were refugees. Their strategy to stay alive was to stay light. You weren't likely to be snatched out of your house and strung up in a tree and burned to death and your parts sold off if you were light-skinned. Maybe if you were a business owner, if you had some, you know, if you were an activist, that's different. That's just the, the history of this place. And so I'm a result of that, of people consciously, intentionally staying light-skinned. You were to marry other light-skinned Blacks because you were to be Black, but safe. So this notion of safety in Black skin got very real. And then it got very real with Renisha McBride. So this was the first time I kind of put it down on paper, is in this Allure story about what it meant because my daughter and I have a lot of conversations about it. She's a beauty executive. She sees a lot of shenanigans around skin and colorism and, and how all 
so many people in the back end, the PR girls, the companies have no idea. It's a problem in the in the boardrooms. So we have a lot of those kind of conversations. And that's what led me to you, Jessica. I'm like, we need to talk about this in a place that is big and public. But I just want to say while we're here together that I was it was such an honor to be within the company of such beautiful stories and such intimate stories and the difference between us. You know, not just our it's our age, it's our hue, it's our experience. So thank you, my fellow sisters. Yes, yes. But I think there's also a, a sameness on some level to each of your stories in the sense that at some root, we feel othered, whether it's by the greater world of white people or by our own people, which I think came up in your story, Ziva, a little bit about, you know, feeling othered by another Black woman as you were just trying to shop in the drugstore. So I would love to hear from you, like, when I first called you with the prompt, you know, what what did you start to think about? Well, I started to think about... uh how I hadn't realized until we sort of had our conversation and I actually started writing the piece, how much that experience had actually affected me. I went back and like looked at tweets I had made the day it had, <laughs> it had happened and reading the things I was saying, realizing that there was actually a lot of hurt there. Yeah. And I think Part of that hurt, as you say, was because it was, you know, a Black woman who had asked me, like, you know, are you stealing from this store? And like, and had put that shame on me. And then that just made me think about how this is what white supremacy does. It infiltrates your space, your your tribe, your family, and creates these these divisions. And just how sad that is. For me, you know, I grew up Never really feeling one way or other about my complexion. You know, my I, my mother is a little bit lighter than me. My older sister is much darker than me. And there was never any feeling of a hierarchy there. So I grew up being very much content in my skin. It's one thing to feel content and at peace with being a beautiful, dark, melanated woman, it's another thing to still have to contend with what that means to other people. I still have to be constantly aware of how the way that I show up in the world can put me in positions of danger and also just in positions of, you know, just unpleasantness, you know, which who wants to deal with that? It was really cathartic and healing to sort of go back over that experience and understand the ways in which how I feel about it has changed, you know? Yeah. Also, we talked a lot about how, in some ways, Black women can use the way we dress and even makeup to an extent as a defense mechanism, as a, a safety vest. I just think about me working in beauty. And when I go to work, I make sure I'm dressed. I make sure my I got my heels under my desk. I got, you know, my dress from Rent the Runway that I can't afford uh, (laughs) full price. You know, my hair is done for the most part, especially when I first started. I felt that was so important. Mm -hmm. And now I realize it was my way of saying, okay, I'm already different. Mm -hmm. I'm brown and no one else in the room is going to be brown. So if I can at least dress like I belong, 
then maybe people won't notice as much that, you know, I've got curly hair and a big nose and wide lips. And it's something that obviously the more senior I get in my career, the less I care about. But I think that's something that we learn from our parents. I could call my mom today and I say, oh, I'm going to such and such and such place. And she'll say, what's your hair going to be looking like? Oh, boy. <laughs> your nails going to be done? What lipstick you going to wear? Mothers take pride in making sure that their children are put together and representing them well. And we talk about it a lot, my mother and I. And I, I didn't realize what a defense mechanism it was until we started talking, Ziva. Oh, and wow. you were telling me about how when you were in that drugstore, you were wearing a, wearing a hoodie. And I said, a hoodie like Trayvon Martin. Yeah. But you know, also, Jessica, especially for Black women, it is so complicated. We are so dynamic because one day it can be a defense mechanism. The next, it's a source of joy. And the same day, like, it's very difficult for folks to get our layers because we're not just in defense all the time. We're mm-hmm. we're also in joy. We're also in celebration. We're also, this is something you didn't beat out of us. Like mm-hmm. this made the middle passage, our desire to dress up. And I mean, like y'all got head wraps and things going on, like just on this Zoom call. Yeah. Ain't nobody here checking on you. <laughs> You're doing this because it brings you joy, right? There is makeup when they, you know, I see the eyes going on over there. But, you know, <laughs> so there's a part of it. This is also how we show up in the world, but also being fancy can also be a you're a target, right? Because they can't do that with their hair. So they mad at you. Or that jumpsuit just don't look the same on Karen as it does on Jessica. Like, we don't know what we're wearing, how it triggers people. Is it making them jealous? Is it making them nervous? Is it making them feel unsafe? And the more we do this, the more we can, like, let go of caring about that. And I think you make a great point, Michaela. Now, like you said, when I dress up, when I put my lipstick on, I do it because it makes me feel confident. And I'm not thinking about it as much in the sense of like, oh, what will other people think when I put this bright red lipstick on my juicy lips? You know, I'm just like, it looks good, you know, And, and that's a place you have to get to. That really resonated with me, Jessica. I spent probably until the beginning of lockdown defensively dressing, always wearing like what I perceived was very chic, very downplayed. I was always Chanel'd up to the eyeballs with a Chanel handbag because it was literally my husband. He's white. He's blonde. He's blue eyed. I call him the Viking. He's like, I call him the poster child of white privilege, bless him, but he's an ally, a feminist, but he is all the things people perceive of power and privilege. And I was, I wear, I was always wearing my Chanel handbags and he said, my God, it's your shield. It's literally mm. your shield. It's like, back up. I've got a $2,000 purse. Do you know what I mean? Don't yeah. judge me. <laughs> Don't put me in the box you want to put me in. And I mm. realized it was all until I was 37, I chemically straightened my hair. Because again, I worked in Vogue House in the UK. I worked in fancy places and I wanted to fit in and blend in. And it wasn't until the first lockdown last year that I just said, I do not care. If I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out swinging. I'm going to go out being me. And I never wore color. And then suddenly, boom, boom, I just started wearing color. I started wearing things which made me feel joyful because I always thought I was too much. I was too black. I was too big. I was too this. So I had to turn the volume down and be, you know, 
Calvin Klein 2001 chic, which was, which is a look, but it wasn't what, who I am. And, it totally um, is a look, actually. <laughs> and, uh, I see it and, in my head. I literally, really. I've just I literally exploded with colour. And last night I was watching a documentary of my husband, that amazing new cooking show linking the, what, what is it? The, uh, High on the Hog. High on the Hog. High on the Hog. I was watching it and I burst yes. into, I burst into <laughs> tears because they were in Benin and I just had my DNA done. I'm, Nigerian, but I have some Benin in me as well, and Togo. And all the women were decked out in the same colours that I was wearing. And mm. I'm like, this is what I'm supposed to be. Yes. I'm supposed mm-hmm. to be colourful. Yes. I'm supposed to be plucking from nature and all these beautiful flowers and, and reflecting it back on myself and not fear, fearing yes. people are going to think I'm a clown because I'm being colourful. And I'm like, oh, that's what I was supposed to be doing originally. It's taken me all this time to come full circle at 43 to lean into what I should have been doing anyway. And it made me it made me cry, you know, mm-hmm. and I think yeah. that's where we are now. We're all about healing and recognising where we were and how we can go forward. And the tea is, you never really fit in anyway. No. Just because your hair is pressed and you have on, you got on earth tones, you still a black girl. You don't fit in. That's the myth. That's the lie. Like you're manipulating yourself. Because now I'm obsessed now with 2001 Calvin Klein as a look. If that's your choice, that's one thing. If you're doing it and you think you with all your juiciness are fitting in, that's just like part of the, you know, the... The lie. The insanity of white supremacy. Yeah. You know what Xavier was saying? It infects you. It is infectious. And Mm. it infects you. It infects your spirit, your soul. And you create a whole negative noise narrative that you have to unlearn. And it's the process of unlearning, which I think is really painful, but very liberating. And it's also like looking at the actual institution that you're trying to fit into and realizing how uninteresting and you know and and you better say that you know uh boring and like not forward thinking not progressive not like culture shifting like I think that's what's always made it easier easy for me not to conform at least in the way that I present myself in the world is because I find a lot of it basic and boring and it's like (laughs) blackness Blackness is cool. Like blackness mm. is the essence of swag and and style. And it's just like to diminish anything in yourself that comes naturally to you is to diminish that thing, that essence. And so for me, it's about how do I show up in in this in these spaces if I am granted access to the to these spaces and really disrupt. Sometimes you, you're disruptive just by being yourself, which is kind of sad, but yeah. Yeah. important. Well, there was a line in your essay, Atta, that I wanted to just quote here for a minute. <clears throat> so it says... She clear her throat. Yeah, it, it reads, <laughs> jobs I was qualified for and was actually already doing were given to women with no beauty experience but they were a size zero with blue eyes and swinging blonde hair. They fit the image of power that those magazines wanted to exude. I knew my blackness was hold me back in that world. And it was just at a part where you were talking about how that's why you went freelance. I just wanted to use that as a kickoff for us talking about our industry, right? Media and everything that has been happening in the last year. I've been in the industry 20 years, so... At the beginning of my career, 
just, I was never offered the big jobs, even though I was qualified, I was smashing it. And I just knew it was my body. It was my hair. It was my skin. That was not the perception of power that people wanted to exude for these titles. And I knew I was 23 and I can, you know, I could read the signs and it was a choice of, am I going to play mammy to all these Scarlett O'Hara's and make them look good and have all my ideas be ripped off and do the copy and do the hard work? Or am I going to twirl over there and do my own thing? And at 23, I decided to twirl and I was ferocious in my work. I wrote for everybody. I did 18 hour days because I really had to prove to myself, it's not me, it's you. I had to be the Beyonce of beauty to make people look ridiculous, not to hire me. And then it was, you know, to the point of it's embarrassing. In 20 years, I've never really been on a masthead of a magazine. I've never had that credit. I've never had that visibility until now. You know, I would pitch ideas. People would say, well, you know, curls and coils isn't really luxurious. It really isn't us. Can I please talk about skin health for older skin with melanin? Well, no, that's not really us. And it was just constant. You are wrong. You're just not good enough. It's not you're not powerful. You're not sexy. You're not you're not luxurious. And it was just battling that noise. And it was really painful. And after Black Lives Matters, I had a couple commissioners, white commissioners, email me and apologize, which was huge. Wow. And I really appreciated that. They said, I get it. And I'm so sorry for every time I said no. And it was that apology that made me burst into tears because, you know, the gaslighting is real. And just to have someone say it out loud and and acknowledge and apologize, that that was the thing that that moved me or made me emotional. Jessica, you know, I've been I've been in this business for 30 years maybe more. I just want to be very clear with you, Jessica. Like it takes the most vicious police snuff film that we have ever seen to get one person in jail, to get one piece of justice. So being in 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 the industry where it's about image and taste and beauty and luxury, but there was never a plan for you to be here, ever. If you're not in service, if you're not contained, if you're not making somebody's bed, if you're not like they don't know what to do with you. And now we are inevitable. You cannot avoid it. And also the industry needs it because it's, you know, what Zebra was saying, like the blandness, like we've had decades of that. Mm-hmm. Even they're bored with themselves. <laughs> right. Like they don't want to see that over and over. They are. They're like, oh, look at that. Look what you're They've been trying to like usurp it for so long, but now because of social media, they can't just take it and water it down and whitewash it and put it on the runway, right? Like we are showing you in real time, we're dragging in real time, we're pulling out receipts in real time. That's the breakthrough. It's been blood and TikTok that has like, you know. Social media, social media was the turning point. It certainly was, because we could prove it. The gatekeepers didn't have the keys anymore that's that's what I found I worked in Vogue house you know for Condé Nast back in the day that was my second job in 2001 and to get in the building the head of HR I had an interview with her she asked me you're so well educated you have a history degree from Bristol University you went to a private Catholic girls school in a shishi part of town up you know upmarket part of town and she said to me I was 22 she said does that make you feel more white (gasps) 
Oh my gosh. Yeah, that was my, <laughs> and I knew I had to keep it together because yeah. I knew I had to get in that building so I could burn it down from the inside. So mm. I, you know, I could have chucked a chair. I could have been the angry black woman. That would have been an anecdote for the rest of her life at all her dinner parties. And it would have been justified. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I did. I just said education doesn't have a color. You're either educated or you're not. And then she asked me about gang warfare in the a really economically oh, depressed Lord. part of London. And I'm like, I have oh. no idea. I've never been to that part of town. I live around the corner from, from the building here. If I hadn't have sucked that up, I wouldn't be here on this podcast. The subtitles were, why do you think, Black girl, you should be working here? Who do you think you are, you uppity Black girl? who thinks you can raise your eyes to the lofty heights of Vogue. This industry is amazing, full of creative people, full of artists, full of really kind people. But I always felt I was on the outside looking in. The institution is racist. It's ra- it's like you don't want to be in there. <laughs> <laughs> the institution itself, the industry itself was built on white supremacy. We, we, know, we all know that. You know, and I remember growing up and watching Andre Leon Talley, the smartest, the most brilliant, the one who had all the context. He he had ran intellectual, cultural circles around everyone. You're always smarter. You always have more culture because, you know, their history and yours. Yes. You're always more complicated. You're always more fly. You're always you're like you're Naomi, you know, who's. (laughs) You know, that's who you are. What's really encouraging is that this conversation is happening and maybe the next generation doesn't wait till they're 43 or they're whatever. Like, that's what we're doing here now, right? It's like we're we're healing ourselves yeah. and we're hope, hopefully creating new paths for those behind us. And it's about changing this image of the ideal. The times that we're talking about in the past, this ideal was something very specific, it was like mm-hmm. white woman, long hair, blonde, specific type thing. And now it's saying we are the ideal and we deserve to take up space, to take up pages in your publication. And our stories are very important. And I think that is something that we're all working to do in our own way to let people know <laughs> like, oh, I was the deal- ideal from the beginning. I just needed you to see me. And, you know, we do that by, like you said, infiltrating um, in a, <laughs> in a like, real way. I was, I was James Bond, Jason Bourne. I was Harriet Tubman. I was all, you know, I was all these things. Yeah. I was like, no, you I know mean- what? You're not going to get rid of me. I'm in here to change the game. I mean, my presence alone is activism because you're going to have to tell me why there's not a shade for me That's at your right. fancy launch. And I would be the person going, why isn't there a shade for me? Why isn't there this? Why isn't there that? People would tell me we don't have enough shelf space. That's why there's not not diverse colors. They would say to me, you know, black people don't buy at this luxury price point. They don't really appreciate clean products. All this nonsense, you know? The people I've looked in the eye, like I I came up during the BB and CC cream. Yeah, uh, I love that. And I would just give them a look. I'd just be like, 
Mm-hmm. Universal. Mm-hmm. And we both look at each other like, you know damn well this does not work on me. And I am like middle of the road brown. Like yeah. I'm not even, yeah. you know, so it's like, come on now. I, I'm not going to speak my mind and embarrass you right now, but I'm just going to give you that look. Like We all know. And, it's emba- and just, just you having it swatched on your hand and looking at them is enough. Really? Translucent, did you say? <laughs> one, of, one of my favorites one of my favorite things like oh okay I'm just gonna put a little bit of this on my hand and we just watch yeah and you can't you know if you weren't in the room everyone would be like oh it's wonderful it's for everybody wonderful wonderful you wow. are the proof and that right. is a very powerful thing and I always say beauty is, is not about the surface yes it is but it is about our values as a culture it is about, yeah. are you important? Do I, are you even worth marketing to? Are you even worth being in the lab, spending money developing products for? No, you're not. That's a message I had all my career. You're not worth it. Mm-hmm. You, yeah. Why bother? But, you know, it, even on the super light skin spectrum, I had a makeup artist friend that used to bring me foundations from Japan because there was a yellow undertone, mm. not pink because just because I'm light-skinned doesn't mean that those foundations were matching my skin. They they were pink. They didn't have yellow. I used to have to buy colors of, just for a foundation, though. But so it's they're not thinking of anyone of no. color. No. You know, like anyone. So a mad notion that just because you're fair, they don't see the colors in our color. Like, Ziba, I'm looking at your skin. There are so many colors. There's like, there's purple, there's gold. There's just, there's like spectrum. It's beautiful. It's like a brown crystal. They don't know how to light or make makeup or make anything or even show us the creativity that we already know what we're doing with that color. Like that has just started within the last five years of showing how black girls have been using colors that weren't intended for them in these creative ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's it's frustrating how it's only when, you know, like when Rihanna released her Fenty makeup and had, you know, all of these different shades with all of these different undertones. And suddenly the industry looked and said, oh, like this is actually super lucrative. Like people actually really love this. Maybe we should start adding more shades. And it's I struggle with like this idea of like how these things are so obvious and yet there have to be these huge sea changes for for the powers that be to actually see what should be right in front of their faces and us always having be having to be the ones to start that change you know yeah I'm hoping that it we progress to a point where our white allies our cis male allies our um, heterosexual allies our abled allies are able to understand and see these things and start those changes without having to be prompted all the time. I want us to be the powers that be. After a while, like that has got to be part of the plan. You know, not to say like, I don't ever want to say some to someone, you know, you shouldn't want to work at Vogue or you shouldn't, you know, guess that that was a childhood dream or whatever. But when you realize at a certain point, we what are we building? Right, exactly. It's just a magazine. Like, you know, like these things are important for the culture. It's a big tick. Do you know what I mean? It was a big tick of approval that I felt I needed to chase to be 
where I wanted to be. And then you realize, no, I'm the tick. Wherever I am is exactly. the tick. Wherever I am is the party, you know? But it, exactly. takes, it takes time to get there. But I was just saying, I'm creating my own beauty range. I'm doing my own foundations. Ziv, I'm going to hook all you girls up, okay? Yes. <laughs> and it is about seeing what other people can't see. I've been speaking to chemists who's, who tell me, oh no, um, yeah, there's no brown. We make brown by black, mixing black, white, red. I was like, listen, listen, if there's brown in nature, there's brown in my skin, there's no black in my skin. Okay, there's no black in any of our skin. That's the thing. That's why everything looks muddy and weird, right? Because they put black in. I'm like, I want chocolate. I want brown. I want the brown from from nature. And I've been told by so many people, no, you you can't do that. You can't break the color wheel. And you know what that really is saying? The subtitles, we just don't want to find it because it's not worth it. We've been doing this for 40 years, 50 years. This is how it is. You're not worth investigating new pigments or techniques or colors. Just suck it up, take it. And that has been so interesting fighting against that noise because Zeba, the colors in your skin, Jessica, everybody, you deserve to be seen literally. And we're not seen at the moment by many mm-hmm. brands. The brands build color centering white. So they go from white out versus they never center brown and then create shades from that. And it's the same with textures. That whole, the, the 1C, 4C, 3C, 4C, I had a problem with that from the beginning. I understand the need to do it because it's an organizing principle, but one is straight hair. <laughs> yeah. Like this, this system was centered, was created for us because we have such diversity in our texture. Why isn't the tightest curl one, right? Like I, that's, I have a, like a philosophical, emotional issue with starting with straight hair as the ideal and yeah. ending at 4C. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't say this much publicly because I know it's been useful to like describe hair and get the right products. And, but the fact that they still start centered whiteness to create a system that mostly black I've never heard a white girl ever say oh I got 1A hair (laughs) never like never (laughs) I've never heard them use it (laughs) we use it yeah even if you look at the chart the way that they describe one is like that that's the ideal it's the ideal center that we all rotate around and then we're just gonna work so we're last in line in a system that's created to explain our diverse hair, mm-hmm. our dynamic hair, our hair that changes and shape shifts. And that's how the foundations are made. They start with white, centering whiteness. That's what white supremacy is. Yeah. Well, like, I'm, li- flip- li- I'm flipping that and I'm starting with the darker shades and I'm going to work outwards. So my thing, and in all of the labs I've been to, there is not one person who looks like us testing mm-hmm. these colors. So basic. Mm-hmm. Who are you testing this on? Oh, you know, Giovanni. It looks amazing on the back of his hand. <laughs> oh, that's lovely, Giovanni. <laughs> uh, <Giovanni>. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's that, I've, been in, I've been in Italian factories. It's that basic where you mm-hmm. don't even, they're not even testing on, on different skin tones and our skin tones. And it's, What's really painful about that, it's like, you're just always invisible. Invisible, that's the word I would say. You're just invisible in the beauty industry. And uh, for me, be the change you want to see because there's no one more invested than me to get it right, you know? 
Mm. I think it's like you were saying, Michaela, it's a nice to have. It's a nice tick, a nice add on at the end of a shade of a shade range rather than the center. I remember when Glossier did the the numbering and, you know, one was the darker shade and that just blew my mind. It's so sad that it blew my mind. And I remember someone saying their friend said, oh, I don't like it. I don't like the way they've reversed it because I don't know my position. I was like, uh-huh. that's a metaphor, honey. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You didn't I remember go to thinking, wow, you're not mm-hmm. talking about foundation no more, are you, honey? Like, <laughs> and she said, I don't know. I don't like the way they reversed it. First of all, who, who's to say it's reversed? Because I don't know what my position is because she's so used to being that's number deep. one. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. I mean, yes. Michaela, when you were talking about this sort of categorization, I mean, that's what white supremacy is. It's like we're going to create this thing called black and we're going to decide who gets to be in that thing. We're going to decide if you have this amount of black blood in you. One drop. Then one drop, <laughs> then you're in this uh, box. And I think it flattens that complexity that we're talking about. You know, that the, it flattens yes. what the idea of what blackness actually looks like is. There are black people who are black on both sides who look almost white. Yeah. What do we do with that? You know, we have to break down the, the, the boxes. We have to get away from this need of categorizing everything so that we can have real nuanced conversations about the experience of being Black. Because I think that's what it's really about. It's like colorism all comes down yes. to experience, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. And, 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 and we I, were categorized for sale. That's exactly. the point. Yeah. The point, just like the shades are categorized for sale, you know, light skin get you know get you this price and this. That's what the caste system is about. It's not just about power for particularly for people who have enslaved ancestors. That's the that's what it is. So we also have to be aware, like what why the caste system or why the shade system, why the texture system exists. Mm-hmm. It was to value us, to sell us. I think oftentimes the world at large wants to make the black experience one thing. Mm. They're like, tell us what the what the black people think. I <laughs> I only know the black people I know. I, I can't tell you what we all think because I, as a black American from the South, have a different experience than each one of you who have, <laughs> you know, like exactly than you who's been in the UK. And I just I feel like we need and to read a book. <laughs> like, you know, right that's not my responsibility to tell no, you so like after like no no recast I don't know re- do something mm-hmm. you know right. to be the that's one of the things also you, I know that everyone if you've ever worked somewhere when it's a black question like everyone turns to you like no do some work and I think this year has made a lot of people do not some people do more work than they're used to doing because I think we also, all of you talked about how they were writing these essays was a healing moment in some way. I do think that with all the turmoil that this year has brought us, it has also made us say, I'm not going to allow you to steal my joy. Yes. You try and you try to take my joy away from you, from me, but I will protect it. I will protect my mental health. I will protect my body. I will protect my words, my thoughts, because those are important and those are the things that I have to love and acknowledge before I give anything away. Our life was on the line. 
this was a matter of life and death. Zamba, I really appreciate you talking about mental health and bringing that into this space of these collection of stories, because <laughs> this year, if it did anything, it made us really aware. Because if, if people were struggling or were fragile before, the isolation, because one of the, you know, I started this conversation by saying I miss the sisterhood. That's part of my spiritual practice is to be around Black women and Black people and Black culture. Connection. That's what I missed, connection and how necessary it was. But it is that thing of just to connect with people who understand you and know what you're going through and who have been othered. I remember I went to Black a Black Girl Fest, which is an amazing festival here in the UK a couple of years ago. And I, my husband was out with our children who are biracial. And I said, bring them here now. Bring them here now. And he was like, no, we're having ice cream. I was like, bring the children. And we came. <laughs> and he went, oh, it was the first time I didn't have to, I had to look out for my girls because I usually just look for their hair, the curls in the crowd. And it was the first time I'm like, oh, I've got to keep my eyes on you because you're going to get lost because it was just a room full of people who oh, looked I like us. That. If you want to talk about superhero, you know, that is, you know, and how mentally, spiritually, physically, how you have to adapt and survive so that gives me a lot of strength as well, that if you want to talk social engineering, we are the descendants of the strongest spiritually, physically, mentally, and we owe it to, we are their dream come true. And every time I say, I'm too tired, I can't do this, I'm like, I am someone's dream come true and I owe it to them. That is such a positive note. And I think when you talk about your girls, I think about the future, you know, kind of like Michaela was saying later, like every one of us is making a difference. You all made a difference so that I could launch the melanin edit on Allure.com and, you know, have that be received the way that it was. And hopefully the next person that comes will, you know, have an opportunity to have things go a little bit differently for them because of the work that we've all put in. And I believe we're, you know, I might be a little bit optimistic, but I believe that the infiltration is working. I think we're, we've changed this industry for the better and we've got more to do. I would just like to take a moment to go around and if there's anything you want to end on, if there's anything you all want to say, if there are any projects you have coming up that you want to talk about, Ziba, I'm looking at you, I know you have a book coming, shout it out and say goodbye to the people. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was delightful. It was very lovely to be in sisterhood with y'all. And yeah, I have a book coming out in October called Carefree Black Girls of Essays about what we're talking about, you know, the impact Black women have made on pop culture. And yeah, thank you. <laughs> Can't wait to read it. Ate? I feel a bit emotional. I'm teary. You are all wonderful and make me feel so happy because... I felt so isolated for most of my life. And just to hear you all talk mm. about your experiences, because the isolation was part of the, the torture. Do you know what I mean? That you were made to feel that you were only the only one feeling these things or you didn't, we weren't connected in the way we are now. So thank you so much. I've got a book coming out, Coils and Curls, The Ultimate Guide to Loving Your Hair. I'm launching my own beauty line. So foundations for darker skin tones for us, you know, for all, I call them the, the, the in-betweeners, the forgotten, the invisible. So all those shades where, who have been overlooked, I'm putting that center and I'm very proud about that. Zeba, your book is beautiful. I had the honor to do some early reading and y'all, it's beautiful. 
thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. We've been really waiting for this, you know, as a as an OG in this industry, you know, when you said that we're our ancestors, as I said, we're our ancestors' dream come true. It's true. And not just your ancestors, your aunties, that we're here. But also, Etta, to that point, you owe it to the Harriet Tubman to rest and to have self-care. And Black girls, we made self-care a thing. We know that. That was <laughs> our language of survival. No, it's true. You know, for those who haven't read the meaning of Mariah Carey, like that I wrote with Mariah, it was, I still really love the way that we talked about Blackness and it's complicated in that book. And it's coming from a perspective of a Black girl that lived among white people. So I would love for people to keep buying the book and the audio. Audio was amazing because she sings and it's incredible. And stay tuned. I have a very, very cool project coming out really soon. Of course, it's about hair, but it's going to be great. So I'm going to end on a quote from one of your essays, Michaela. Little Black girls have no space or language to share how much we might admire each other, how we believe we may be beautiful because we have an array of pigments like flowers. Rather, by the second grade, we are usually conditioned to sift through our skin tones, compare, separate, and pluck each other out. I think this conversation is an example of how we are finding ways to acknowledge and love on each other, no matter skin tone, hair type, experience. I mean, we're just giving everything to each other and that's what we have to do. We have to keep lifting each other up. And I appreciate each of you for lifting me up and for supporting me in this journey and for supporting the Melanin Edit and anything that you guys need, I'm here for y'all because, you know, we're sisters in this. Everybody go to allure.com slash the dash melanin dash edit to read the stories that these wonderful ladies wrote. Thank you. Yeah.